I think people who work in community and social networks think a lot about Dunbar's number. I was pretty surprised to hear Robin Dunbar actually talk about it recently. So here's a clip from his recent interview. Let's get on to the numbers a little bit. There are these numbers that seem to be surprisingly robust. Tell us a little bit about the, the hierarchical structure and what those numbers are. If you look at how often people talk with their friends and extended family, what you find is that you can string everybody out from the person you devote most time to the person you devote least time to. But actually, it's not a sort of simple line of declining contact. It's rather bumpy. And those bumps occur in very specific places, which cause your social network, the sort of collection of friends and extended family you have, to look like a set of ripples on a pond, if you like, where a stone has been thrown in. Think of yourself as the stone right in the centre. You're surrounded by these ripples which go further and further out. And, And in fact, the analogy is quite good because the innermost ripples are usually a bit higher and the outermost ripples are getting towards flat as the energy dissipates. So the innermost layer of the ones you devote most time to, in fact, you devote 40% of your total social effort to that inner core of just five people. And then beyond that, you titrate your time according to the value of the relationships in many ways. And you, you end up with these quite distinct layers And the layers count cumulatively, so each layer includes the layer inside it, but they're technically one and a half right in the centre, 5, 15, 50, 150, and then they extend beyond that. 150 is your sort of natural social network, but they extend beyond to 500, 1500, 5000. That's the largest circle we know anything about, and it really seems to differentiate between completely anonymous people, people you've seen before somewhere or you recognise a photo of. So it's probably as much as we can actually cope with. But those layers, we pick them up not only in face-to-face interactions, we pick them up in telephone databases. If you look at how often people phone each other, you can see it in Facebook. If you look at the frequency with which people post to named individuals, we've even picked it up on Twitter Pretty much anything you look at, if you look at the structure of organizations, the structure of natural groupings of humans, you see the same layers. They're extremely robust. There's an implication here of how Dunbar communities form an us versus them approach. And Robin Dunbar actually proposes that there are some ways in which we find connection across very, very large groups. You can't just have a group that gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Eventually, it'll split into two groups. And even you say around the dinner table, if you have eight people, it it tends to split into two groups. There's a lot of what what feels like tribalism to me in society. There's a lot of us and them. You're you're our lot or you're their lot. And a lot of people, and I have to confess I'm one of them, wouldn't it be nice if everyone just stopped being in a tribe and just all got on? Is that, is my nice little idea of everyone just not belonging to a very strong bonded social group and just accepting people. Is that a pipe dream? Are we programmed that there has to be an us and a them at some point? Because if you've got people in your social group, by definition, there are people who are outside it. Partly, obviously, through all this grooming stuff, but we also do it at a cognitive level, a psychological level, whereby we look for people who are rather similar to us, the so-called homophily effect, which is why we get these echo chamber effects. We tend to like people and spend, want to spend most time with people who are similar to us and a whole tranche of, in particular, cultural dimensions, which we call the seven pillars of friendship. And these are things like shared interests and you know, shared moral views and sh- shared sense of humor, shared musical tastes and so on and so forth. 
And it turns out that we're very good at building kind of mega communities out of one single dimension. So normally, with your nearest and dearest, you'd perhaps share six or seven of these seven pillars with them. So if you like to think of them as a a supermarket barcode of your kind of interests in life and and so on on your forehead, or except that you speak them, obviously. But sort of when you get down to the the nether regions of your social network, you might only share one or two. But being able to take one of those as the basis for creating friendships with what amount of friendships with strangers seems to be a skill that we've managed to develop quite effectively. So this is the thing where if someone supports the same football team or they play the same sport or it's that sort of thing, that that is enough, that we're already automatically on the same side. We've got a shortcut. Absolutely. And that's exactly what it is. It's a shortcut through having to get to know them better. Paradoxically, though, the one thing that seems to be particularly good at creating a sense of bondedness with a complete stranger is your musical tastes. If they like the same music as you, boy, you're onto something good here.